Hello, hi, it's me. I like talking a lot. A lot. I laugh a lot and I'm pretty loud. Is that good? We live in a civilization that is actually harmful in a lot of ways and lies about the harm that it does to its, to, to the people that live in it. That, that's essentially what it comes down to. And I found that, like, I couldn't, not that I couldn't function, but, like, there were little things and moments in my life where, like, I would experience profound sadness. Like, honestly, just throwing something away. <laughs> like, I would throw something in the garbage can, and every time I did, I would have kind of like a, a pan, a, like a minor panic Like attack. extra food? I don't leave extra food. I Oh, <laughs> If you ask anybody that knows me, I am a voracious eater. Like, my children will be like, wait, I was eating that. No, more like just, you know, like scrap paper or just, um, and I would think like, where is this going? Yeah. Yep. And what's going to happen to it? And yep. what kind of ridiculous delusion is it that we think that we can just produce copious amounts of waste and then they'll just like disappear? Because mm-hmm. they don't. Because they go somewhere into a landfill, or they wind up in the middle of the ocean. I mean, you know about the... I know about the plastic island that's floating around in the ocean. The plastic (laughs) island the size of, like, Alaska or something. (laughs) It was just Coke bottles. And it's like, every time I threw something away, I would become, like, hyper-aware of that and think, what am I doing? This is so opposite to what organic life should be about as sort of over the top as that sounds. I'm aware that it sounds over the top. So I began to kind of retreat and um, because when I would try to explain this idea to people that peak oil and there's like climate change and all those things would be on my mind all the time and I would be like, what, what are we doing? They would sort of say, okay, like that makes a lot of sense, but it's not something I really want to think about, <laughs> which I understand, which I totally understand. Uh... I was not I was not a hit at parties. <laughs> put it that way you're debbie downer everybody would walk away right, from you right, like, like, uh, sam's gonna talk about climate change again who gives a shit right exactly. <laughs> we share parts of our brains actually you touched on so many different things that okay. i have thought about oh, really? or places that i have come from or what i'm struggling with currently my name is jocelyn park and i'm the founder and creative ace at lancaster transplant um i'm also a quaker which might provide some context for some of the things I'll talk about. Um, I was born to give. That's just where I came from. I don't know, you know, it's not like my, I mean, my family's givers were all close, wonderful, nurturing individuals. So I've always had a, and my dad's a servant leader. So I've always had this like servant leadership within me, uh, some, some sort of component like that where I felt like I had a higher purpose, but I wasn't sure what it was. So the, you come from a Quaker background? I come from a Quaker background, not necessarily raised Quaker, but my father was very heavily um, involved in Quaker meeting. And around 14 was the first time I went to Quaker meeting and worshiped together. And so Quakers are Christians, um, you know, believe in the Bible, all that stuff. But um, everything's more 
for me personally, it's more based in moral and the way that you treat each other and the way that you view each other. So Quakers believe that there is a light of God within every single person, which is just like a super positive way to look at <laughs> people. And when you're a giver and you believe the best in everyone, it can in this world, you can be taken advantage of. You can crash and burn from that place down pretty low when somebody's a jerk to you. And actually, I've noticed a lot of parallels between being a Quaker and transplant, like what I do for transplant and the fact of of how community is more about just existing together, right? You're worshiping together in a room. There's nobody who's trying to teach you a lesson. It's more of a lesson that's coming from within or somewhere out there in the ether. Would you mind kind of walking us through your personal experience of what those meetings are like yeah. and how the philosophy comes through in yeah. that in that setting? Quaker meetings, just like any other church gathering, right, for, for the most part. You have the worship part and then you have the social part afterwards. Quakers love their social time afterwards. Um, <laughs> and they love to talk to you about what they're doing. Um, but the beautiful thing about Quaker meeting is that we worship in silence. Um, so it's an hour of silence. It's signaled with the beginning of the cl- and closing through, uh, you know, with a clerk. And different Quaker meetings, every, just like any other religious group, each church or each meeting is different. Um, and the one that I grew up in was much more of an act, like an activist group where people would, um, during the worship, typically what happens is somebody will stand up and speak. And the whole point of that is you speak when the word of God moves you, you, when you're moved to speak. Um, So there are some people who use that as an opportunity to talk about something that's been going on in their lives or, um, you know, something in this in this certain meeting, it was you know, like a lot of what they're protesting at the moment or what what people were upset about. Um, And then other times, which are the really magical times, is when somebody across the room stands up and says something that you were actually thinking. I've had that happen. You know, when I feel moved to speak, it feels like my heart's going to explode and I get this energy in my heart space and my chest and it's like something I got to talk about right now. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, But the beautiful thing is it's not we're all sitting there in this room and everyone has an opportunity to be heard. And that is a, a, a beautiful space to be in. And um, rare. I think. And rare and rare, especially now people's opinions or the, their beliefs or the things they're struggling with. We kind of tamp down. Nobody really wants to talk about what they're going through. Um, and at meeting, it's always a safe space to talk about that that type of stuff in in worship and outside of worship. Once a year, we have our annual sessions, and that's where things within the the yearly meeting are brought for for people who are part of the yearly meeting and members and attenders to speak to. So they have moments where they bring up, you know, um, sometimes we talk about the one sessions. They were talking about um, racism and people, majority white, who were like, Quakers are not racist. And then, (laughs) you know, majority black Quakers are like, 
no disrespect friend, but this is what I go through in the yearly meeting. And this is what I feel at my yearly meeting. And then, you know, there is a a little bit of a discourse within this large room of 150 people. And each person is, is heard in a way. Um, and there is, then there's room for discernment, which I think is the key for Quakers is discernment. This whole idea of weighing the decisions within you and sitting and actually having silence and taking time to discern and uh, process a decision to be made or even feedback or responding to somebody instead of instantly shutting right. someone down. Quakers really believe in following your calling. Um, that's why a lot of young Quakers, you never really know they exist because they're all around the world doing really cool stuff, um, which breeds problems in its own right because there's not a, um, young blood in the meeting and it regularly attending the meetings. There are clearness committees that help you sort of discern what you're going to do if you have an idea or a calling, like helping you figure that out. It's very... I've never used them, but I know they exist because I've always had my father <laughs> to kind of right. help me do that. Um, my dad was a servant leader, and I grew up hearing this term. That seems like what's at the core of it is yeah. that there are no leaders, you know, who are going to command or say, like, I'm the rabbi, I'm the priest, whatever, I'm going to make this determination for this for this congregation. That's what and, the term kind of like conjures for me. And in fact, it makes it hard to lead when you like that is a very hard way to lead. Um, it's easy when you're the one calling the shots and you're just like, this is how it's going to be. And people are like, OK, I'll do that. People gravitate to what people want to be led. Yeah. Is the other thing. But servant leaders aren't always, and speaking for myself, are not always comfortable leading. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to figure out your calling and what you were meant, quote unquote, meant to do, um, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that, especially in this society. It's not like I can be like, oh, I'm going to go out and do this. Like, I'm going to build this community of people who are new to town and it's all going to work. It's more like, okay, no, how do I do it in the right way? And how do I serve the community, like the wider community as a whole? So you mentioned that it's hard for people. People don't like to talk about, like, I'm going through this thing. Yeah. Here's this crisis that I'm experiencing. And I think that that is exceptionally true for where we live. Oh, yeah. So this is Lancaster County, you know, to to have wild emotions and to be um, bombastic. Those aren't those aren't qualities that are sort of looked upon as being um, ones you want to have Mm. or or at least. How do I survive in this environment? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's again, it's like we we live in this environment, which is very. it's inimical to be honest and really and and to kind of offer up your innermost thoughts like that's not something that people do yeah and you know for for me so i grew up in delaware county outside of philadelphia right near swarthmore college Mm -hmm. which could give context to people of like you're in this you know uh, super liberal and well-educated area um, and by well-educated, I mean, you know, college education. Right. And there were a lot of professors and stuff like that. Philadelphia is a lot more progressive in ways. Um, and I'm trying to think if I ever really understood until I moved here that other people don't talk about emotions and issues and change and, like, all that stuff. It's just a lot slower here. 
and it is based, I guess, in the the PA Dutch or German culture of not really sharing and like putting your head down and getting to work, um, grinning and bearing it. Yeah, grinning and bearing it. And f- for me, I I just can't do that. I grew up with a, a mother who did that, and my father was very emotional, and he's always been in touch with himself. Um, and he and I are very very close in that way. Mm. So. I grew up being an emotional human being and being so sensitive. Like I would cry about everything or, you know, middle school was Me too. hell. It's, it's hard. And, and you're told and you're told you're not supposed to express your emotions. You're supposed to suppress them from a wider, like cultural American perspective. I guess what I found is when you start doing that, that work, that inner work of, accepting yourself and becoming more self-aware of hey i am an emotional creature hey i'm a sexual being hey i have a higher calling of things i want to do um man i don't fit it at all you in a place like this in lancaster the people that you share that common thread with that you just sort of gravitate together it's hard for me to understand that although I am doing the work to become more self-aware and intuitive and um, embrace my nature as a woman and the struggles that I face or as an emotional person or, you know, as a white, well-educated female or as somebody who wants to serve a wider community, like all of those things, I'm doing the work to get right with myself because I've um, faced a lot of adversity. I've had, I've had trauma happen in my lifetime and things that nobody would know about on the outside. And that's easy to explain to my friends who are also doing the same work. But then I go out into the wider community, which is pretty much everyone in general, but I think it's compounded by living in a small town with people who don't really do that work yet. Um, And it's, it's fair. It's, it's even harder because I can't walk up and be like, you know what? I just broke through some baggage that I've had from all of my employers and bad relationships, like all this stuff. And people look at you like you're crazy. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm like, no, it stays with us. It stays with us. You don't understand. Many of the experiences I had when I was younger, um, I, you know, I could think of any number of different instances, um, just bound up having that like be a detriment. I don't teacher or some authority figure would be like, you need to be less like this. Yeah. And in some cases it was a parent too, yeah. Um, so that's who I am. And I have always tried to fight yeah. back against it because I've always been told, you need to calm down. You need to stop crying. You need to stop taking everything so personally. You, yeah. You, you know, <laughs> these are probably maybe things you've heard. Yes. So, I mean, what I'm trying to describe is like where I'm trying to be neutral or completely dead, it goes completely the other direction because yeah. I can't keep it down. Let's talk about Lancaster Transplant. Yeah. Because um, I think the, the the one of the natural lead-ins there is talking about like finding your people, mm-hmm. right? Which I think I'm starting to do only now mm-hmm. after living in Lancaster as a transplant myself for now seven years, almost seven years. Wow. Yeah. Um, and one of the things about the podcast is it's kind of like a way of um, investigating my adopted home. Right. Yeah. So you're like a perfect person to talk to because that's kind of exactly what you're doing with this organization. Our whole mission is to provide an open and welcoming community for transplants um, who come to Lancaster. Now, 
in that it's, you know, a certain type of person who finds their tribe. You know, it's a bunch of weirdos who get together who like to do different things. But we try to be everything to everyone. So because me as an individual, I love to do a lot of different things. Um, I love to go out, um, you know, go to the wolf sanctuary is one of the things you do. I like to go hiking. Um, sometimes I just like to go to the library. I like to read, you know, um, to be completely honest is it's, it's hard to know how to explain what we are to different, different people. We are a group of people who get together and identify as transplants. Like you're new here. It's a place to start. Um, my whole vision for this organization is that you rock up to Lancaster and or anywhere because we're going to take over the world. We can get to that later. Okay. Um, but, you know, you have a place to start. You know where, you know, you have someone you can talk to about what it's like living here. What should I go out and do? Who? Where should I look for jobs? Where, can, where should I live? What neighborhood would fit my vibe? Um, and then also getting instantly tapped into a friend group. Because it's really hard to make friends well, as adults. Right. That's, and I mean, that, that's kind of the whole premise is it's again, really hard. Again, like we ought, adult. To, we, <laughs> we ought to contextualize, which is, yeah. I mean, the saying goes like, you know, you need to be uh, in Lancaster for like, what, seven generations before they consider yeah. you actually a native. And for me, I've lived in a, a couple different places. Um I lived in Sydney, Australia for two years doing my master's, and there I had the vehicle of school, and I met a bunch of people from all over the world, you know, who we would get together and have international, you know, it would be like all the international kids get together because we're not Aussies, and every once in a while there would be like two Aussies who would join us. Um, So I kind of, you know, in that same vein of like going out like, of having to break into a new, I mean, it is a completely different culture here from an hour and a half away. Like growing up in Delaware County for me and then coming here and being confronted with sexism for the first time in my life and, and ageism to be sitting at a table with a bunch of white male executives who were like, is everyone at your company good looking? Come on. Um, that's just not appropriate, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, just, uh, so anyway, um, you know, it's just, it was like a totally different, different world for me. I moved here and I found friends and they introduced me to all of their friends. And interestingly enough, I found Lancaster to be super friendly when I first moved here. And I always heard that it was, it was not, it was mm-hmm. not going to be friendly. Um, so with that, knowing that, knowing people who told other people that they were moving to Lancaster, that they're probably hearing that, you know, you're, oh, if you're not from there, it's really hard to, to do anything or make any friends. It was kind of a, a natural segue into, well, you know, there's a lot of people here who aren't from here and I like to write. So, um, and I liked, I had a blog where, when I was in Australia talking about what it was like not being from there and why don't I just do it here and we'll call it Lancaster Transplant. And then that idea resonated with lots of people. They needed an identity, you know, you need an identity when you move to a new place. Like you're not Jocelyn Park from Media, Pennsylvania anymore when I moved to Lancaster, PA. When I tell people that I was like super street punk 
type person. They look at me like, I, yeah, just like you did, <laughs> like three, three heads. Um, and, and I'm like, well, that's my story. That's where I came from. And this is the person I am now. So who am I here? You know, it's like a new opportunity to be like, who am I here? Providing a, a safe space for people to be able to ask that question and find like-minded individuals was really important for me. Um, you can see their business model right there. Really unhappy faces yeah. meeting transplant. And then these happy people, because they've connected, are, are um, you know, serving their community. They're learning something new, making friends, finding love writing um, about it, sharing their stories, and then networking. Um, so the, the logo is a... X marks the spot. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's actually modeled after there are these property markers downtown here that are squares. They're out, like, you can see them by the YWCA and, mm-hmm. like, in and around Old Town where they still have the cobble streets. Yep. They're X's carved into concrete. Um, when we first started out, it was, like... Let's just do cool stuff and whatever it is that's cool. Let's find out what people below the surface, like the upper echelon of Lancaster, you always hear about what they're doing, but what's everybody doing down here? What are the artists? What are the movers and the shakers doing? That's where we started out. Now we've moved into like the mid range of like, what are the people who are kind of successful grassroots people doing? One thing is we provide experiences, like tangible experiences for people to get together instead of just sitting there on their phones. All right. I have two questions for you. Yes. We got, you know, between 15 and 20 minutes before I turn into a pumpkin. Okay. Um, or I'm a Jew, so a matzo ball. Even if you didn't explicitly talk about this, it was definitely at the core of what you've been talking about the whole time about discernment, mm-hmm. which I think that's a Quaker term, but I think what it means is looking in, mm-hmm. right? Reflection. Turning inward, yeah. So I want to ask you, like, what has Lancaster Transplant, what has it done for you? And the second question is, how does Lancaster Transplant try and traverse boundaries of socioeconomics mm-hmm. and ethnicity? Those two questions are actually related. Yeah. Good work <laughs> in our in our. So, over the three plus years I've been doing this, our target market started out just people like me. Like that's who I was aiming for. Because when you start something and you're marketing to people, you have to pick a target market. Yeah. You can't be like, oh, and here's one, and here's one. You have to streamline it. And then there were people who sort of fell in out of the 35 to 25-year-old market, which is amazing. They would show up and we were like, oh, okay, cool. You know, okay, we're, we're diversifying a little bit. Or it's not just about white professionals. What it's done for me is, uh, oh my goodness, give me a whole new perspective of what's important to other people. I knew what I thought was important, but the fact that just sending an email out to people, giving them some positive vibes could make their day. Or using social media to reach people in a positive way is really amazing. And then the ideas that people come to us with because they see us as, we'll do anything. We will, if you want to host a workshop where you teach people how to juggle, I'm probably into it, you know. Juggling is tremendously meditative it's an incredible experience. Everyone should do it. Do you juggle? I do. That, okay. I to, it's the so I don't know how to do anything. Okay. I know nothing that can wow you at parties, but I did teach myself how to juggle, and it entertains my kids. But it it is also like this meditative thing. Yeah. Strangely enough, when you start something that is born from within you, as a servant leader does. It is an emotional experience. It's a baby that you're tending to. When you go, when you're doing everything yourself, 
with your best friend for a year and a half to two years before anyone else thinks it's a, I mean, people thought it was a good idea, but until we really knew how to articulate it to people the way they understood. It took a year and a half. It took a year and a half before that really started to happen. And then it went from there. And for me to be able to see the way that people view this organization and the meaning it has for them and then turn inward and be like, so they see me as this and I see me as this over here. So how do I bring the two together? So, I mean, like, that's what I'm currently struggling with right now is um, people seeing transplant as this thing or, or me as like a, a community leader and, and somebody who knows who how to talk to people and the bridge that brings people together. And I'm currently at a point right now where we've had some failures with with the business of it being a business it is a social enterprise it's not a nonprofit. um the point is for it to be sustainable mm-hmm. um it hopefully provides some sort of income so we can have team members um we worked towards with our upward momentum of good vibes opened a physical welcome center which turned out not to be a flop in that it wasn't a good idea but it just wasn't the right time and grappling with that decision and then the personal guilt that I felt about leading my team in that way and leading um, our members in that way or feeling like I disappointed people when as it turns out I didn't really disappoint anyone um, and stuff happens and People truly believe in transplant and what it's doing, so therefore I need to, and therefore I need to believe in myself. We really, you know, we made one of our core our core goals for 2017 was to diversify. You can say that and that'd be a great thing, but what does that truly mean, right? Like how? Are we diversifying in age? Are we diversifying in race? Are we diversifying in socioeconomic? You know, like all the things that you touched upon. Because right now we're tapping into a certain group of people who have a certain price point who like certain things, right? Mm. Not everyone's going to go. If you're a Muslim, you're probably not going to come to a cocktail tasting. Let's be, you know, or or uh, orthodox in any way. You're probably not going to come to that. So, you know... I have been connecting with people um, in different, you know, some of the dreamers, some of the, um, some refugees, different immigrants, different people, like leaders of, or trying to connect with different leaders of different communities around here so that we can diversify intentionally and not just rock up and be like, hey, we're going to do this event. You should come because we're cool sort of thing. Um, well, it, it strikes me that um, you have, in in a way, the, the the refugee community, for example, fits your mission. Right? Yeah, they're 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 people that you would naturally reach out to. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, I you have to be intentional in that reaching out because I connected with Church World Service, and um, they, you know, after a few conversations, they were finally like, actually, the refugees that you were looking to connect with have already gone through our programs and are are here and now they're because they have a lot of obviously there's a lot more important things to focus on when you first arrive in a new country other than being social but finding those people once they're in the community is the hardest part how do you approach diversifying in a way that is genuine it's it has to be genuine it has to be from the heart um so 
what we decided was, because I kept trying to pester people of different communities, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do this like we did everything with transplant. We're going to we're gonna set the intention. It's going to be an organic move, and when it happens, it happens. We have set this out clearly as we are going to start a committee to help bring, you know, multi-generational, multi, multicultural, you know, tap into the refugee community with the leaders first and see what happens from there. It's hard to get airtime right now in Lancaster with especially around refugees and Im- immigrants because of um, organizations who are doing great work, but they're screaming louder than you are. And we're not talking about investing politically. We're not a political activist organization. We are one that is more of a support, nurturing organization of, of welcoming you in, of helping you make those connections to um, to survive, to feel like you're not so isolated and alone, because that is really sad and depressing. For everyone who's ever been a new person in a new place, when you first arrive and everything out there seems like it's unattainable to you, it's it's a really hard place to be. It's been three and a half years, or at least you know, two years of actual, of, of on the ground work. Are, are you is it successful? Are you seeing what you what you set out to accomplish? Yeah, I mean, it's more successful than I ever thought it would. Be. I mean, because honestly, when I started it, it was just a blog, um, and now it's a f- full-grown community we have memberships we have uh, a team like paid memberships that for people supporting i have merch um you know it's it's like this thing and people really 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 love the mission um so for someone who's really hard to ask people for money don't like doing it i probably shouldn't admit that but you know that's why i have people who help me um, cause I just want to make everyone happy. That's my mission in life is to make everyone happy. Um, which doesn't feed me, but it's great. People are inviting me to come and speak and connect with different communities. Um, you know, I've made connections in and around different parts of the city. We're starting a volunteer tangent, the service transplant service course through so that people can actually serve their community. And it's amazing to see as the organization grows, how I have grown, and how now we've become separate. There are people in this city who could tell you what transplant is. And you know what? It's amazing to hear what other people say it is because it's a different, it means a different thing for, you know, every single person who's involved. Our livelihoods, our geography, and our technology keep us apart. This is something that in large part we have kind of volunteered to do. It is the way that our society has evolved and the choices that some of us have made, which then others have had to adhere to. For example, Jocelyn talks about reaching out to the refugee community. In my interview with Madhab Sharma, two things emerged. One This is no surprise. Upon arrival in the United States, immigrants from faraway places are often shocked by what they encounter in terms of just the way the place looks and how it runs. So therein lies a small illustration of the way America works, what we value, 
We value our space. We certainly value our gadgets, our devices. We value the vehicles that get us from point A to point B, often traversing large swaths of space. Again, this is how we've decided to live. And it's different from the way a lot of the rest of the world lives. And maybe we're missing something. And maybe we've sacrificed something that, try as we might, is going to be difficult to get back. But what that is, is of course, community. It's togetherness. It's living close to one another. We have become immune to that basic, essential human need. We want to be apart. And yet, perhaps that's a superficial desire. And although we've pushed it way, way, way deep down, we actually desire to be together. The second thing that emerged from the conversation with Madhab Sharma in an earlier episode of What We Will Abide is the idea that the immigrants that are coming here actually do want friends. In fact, it's one of the things that he emphasized. They want to be social. They want to become conversant in American culture and the American way. In a recent episode of a podcast that I really enjoy and highly recommend, it's Erica Heilman's Rumble Strip, which used to be Rumble Strip, Vermont. She interviews a judge who has a unique approach to justice. One of his main tenets is this idea that us versus them does not exist. And he asks the pointed question, why isn't it just all us? And in a way, that's what this conversation led me to. What Lancaster Transplant in its infant years seems to be saying is, whether you're from here or not, whether you are a member of a certain class, whether you are a member of a certain vocation, and whether you are a member of a certain nationality or religion, it's all us. I'd like to thank Nick Peterson for the music, and my thanks as well to Russell Fultz-Smith for the original cover art for this episode. As always, you can leave a comment about this episode or other episodes at samschindler.com or on the What We Will Abide Facebook page. You can tweet at me at samschindler43. And as always, it really helps other listeners find the show if you leave an iTunes review. I've heard recently that it can be a little bit difficult to get your review submitted, but please do persevere. You can find a whole slew of information about Lancaster Transplant at their website, lancastertransplant.com, or on the Lancaster Transplant Facebook page. And I just want to revisit the idea that I'd like for this podcast to create a kind of public forum for people to discuss things, whether on the website or on the Facebook page, in some form or another. Recently, at a random location, somebody approached me and said, Hey, you're the podcast guy, and I was really floored by that. I had no idea who the person was or that they were a listener, and I'd like to engage in a dialogue with them and with you. Thanks for listening.